All right. Good morning. Uh, it is an incredibly great day today. I'm so happy to be uh, hosting a, a friend of mine. I'm happy to have uh, all of you, our friends from the Canadian mortgage space, the finance space, a lot of our referral partners, uh, and all of your guests. Uh, this week's guest on Level Up series um, is uh, someone who I'm so proud of to have on the show. Uh, my guest today is uh, Mr. Lewis Howes. And uh, a lot of you know Lewis. For those who don't, he is a, a New York Times best-selling author. He's a keynote speaker, an entrepreneur. Uh, he's a coach. He's a two-time All-American in uh, in two sports. Um, he has been featured all over, including the likes of Allen, Good Morning America, ESPN, Forbes, Fast Company, uh, and he's also the founder of the School of Greatness podcast, which. Uh, he just updated me this morning, has had two more than 200 million downloads. He's also been recognized uh, as one of the five internet gurus who can help make you rich. Uh, please, guys, uh, help me welcome uh, Mr. Lewis Howes. Lewis, good morning. Good to see you. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Hey, it's uh, it's remarkable to have you on the show today, and I, I know you're a, you're a real busy guy. I know you have the, the Kevin Hart uh, interview uh, dropping uh, later on today. Um, how, how, how are, how are things, you know, different for you now during COVID-19? How has your world changed and how are you handling it? For me, I think I'm just, uh, you know, before we got on the show, you were really talking about service over selling. And I think that's, that's been my mission ever since I've gotten started in business is thinking that selling is service. And when I think of selling as service all the time, then it never feels like I'm having to sell. It's always, how do I give, 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 and people naturally want to buy when it makes sense for them, whether it's our services, our products, programs, whatever it may be. And I think uh, I've dove even more into that, like in these last two months, just like you said, you've been doing uh, with all these interview series and just trying to give back to the industry and opening up your secrets and sharing more. That's all I, we've been trying to do is just dive in, give and serve. And I think when we come from that place as individuals or humans or entrepreneurs or agents or mortgage brokers, you're always going to get more out of that mm -hmm. service mentality. And it's, I take it a step farther because this is the hard thing. People want sales now, but I've been seeing more people in the last two months sign up for my programs. And I always ask people like, when did you first learn about me? I swear to you, people are coming to me and saying, I started following you on LinkedIn 10, 11 years ago, and I've been following you ever since. And I decided to sign up and buy now, 10 years later. So Crazy. I'm I'm giving and giving and giving. You never know when that, that act of service or just helping people will come back when it's the right time for them. So I think, I think that's what I've been doing and I know that's what you're doing as well. Yeah. Well, and thank you for that. And, and I couldn't agree more, you know, it's interesting because I want to start with sort of your backstory a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's really easy. People think that people who are successful or who have, you know, a, a, a broad uh, audience or, you know, who have done something uh, great, uh, often we think that, uh, you know, it's different than all of us and, and he must have had a leg up, but you, you, you didn't have a leg up. I mean, your story is, is incredibly interesting and it's, it's one of, you know, uh, adversity and I mean, life's not easy. And, you know, you were a, you know, a pro athlete that, uh, had your dreams dashed by a career ending, uh, injury. 
you, you know, your dad suffered a, a serious accident uh, and he was your world when you were quite young and he was a coach and his interest in you and, you know, uh, changed uh, uh, immensely, uh, you know, because of the accident. Uh, your brother, obviously, when you were, I think, eight, uh, yeah. you know, made a mistake and spent four years in jail. And, mm -hmm. you know, you wound up on your sister's, uh, you know, sort of couch, dreams dashed, you know, wondering what the heck I'm going to do. Right. Uh, and, 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 and you started out by, by, you know, reaching out via LinkedIn and asking mm -hmm. people, you know, what they did to become successful. Can you That's share cool. that story for us? I mean, it is fascinating because this has been a, a road to where you're at right now via the school of hard knocks, no easy yeah. roads. Yeah, I think, I mean, you told my story better than I could probably tell it, but uh, I, my whole life was to be a professional athlete. That was the goal. I was first go to college and be an All-American. That's what I dreamed of as a kid. Then go play professional football. And in the first season of playing arena football, which was not the NFL, so I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was getting paid to play, I got injured. And as a guy who had zero backup plan, I didn't have a college degree at the time. I left early. I was horrible in school. I'd never wanted to go back in the first place because I didn't learn well from traditional schooling. Um, I really, at 22 years old, was like, what do I do with the rest of my life? I'm injured. I'm on my sister's couch. My dad had, had suffered an injury. He was in a coma for a number of months. And so I didn't have this backup plan where I was going to go. He was actually an insurance salesman for 32 years with Northwestern Mutual in the US. And um, he was kind of like grooming me to be an agent. I did an internship with them. And he was like, you know, one day you'll be able to take over my, my book of clients. And it was probably the best thing that never happened to me because I remember not being fully excited about his dream. I had my dream, it got it got ended. And I was like, you know what? I need to go on a journey to discover what my new dream is, if there is a new dream. And if not, then I can go do this and be with my dad and maybe that will become my dream. But it wasn't truly really what I wanted. And so when he got in his accident, um, there was a he had to sell his book. He had to sell books of clients to his partner who was running the health insurance side of things. Um, and that was it kind of forced me into another direction. It was like no way to go do that anymore. So it was the greatest thing. I didn't have his financial backing. I didn't have uh, any money coming in. I was in college debt. I was living off three credit cards and I had a cast on my arm for about six months from here to here, just in this position for six months on my sister's couch. And after a year and a half, she finally gave me an incredible gift, the gift of tough love. She said, Lewis, you've got to pay rent. For a year and a half, I was living rent free. Um, and that push forced me to get creative as an entrepreneur because I never knew how to, made how to make money before that. I'm 23, 24 at the time. I had I I wasn't the young kid like trading baseball cards. I wasn't doing the lemonade stand thing. I didn't <laughs> like I didn't do the the hustling of like mowing lawn. I wasn't doing I wasn't like this hustler in terms of an entrepreneur. So I didn't have those skill sets. But I think we can learn these things if we need to, because I learned them when I thought I would never be in that position. And um, that's what I started doing. I started reaching out to mentors. I started going on LinkedIn for about six to eight hours a day. And I was just connecting with people and finding ways to add value. I didn't have any skills at the time. So I would just ask them, can you tell me what your biggest challenge is? And I would ask CEOs all the time this. Yeah. And they would say, you know, I'm really looking for like a head of sales or I need a marketing person or my website is horrible. And because I was developing such a strong network, all I did was connect people. I said, oh, I know the perfect person and I'm going to connect you right now. And I just did that over and over all day. 
And by being in service to people's problems and challenges, I became the champion of their life. I became someone they could rely on, someone they wanted to give money to, someone they wanted to introduce to for other opportunities. And I think that's, you're always going to benefit by serving others and helping in them. And that's just been kind of my motto over the last 10 years since doing that. Well, one of the things you did that I, I love so much, and when I read it, it was so inspirational. Uh, you started reaching out and connecting people, of course, and you know you were always curious, so you asked these great questions. Uh, but as you asked these great questions, you started to get you know sort of inspired, and it started to tweak the the fires. Uh, and you actually made a list of everything you were afraid of. Yes. And then you committed to overcoming these. And there yes. are things like dancing, salsa dancing, public speaking, <laughs> things like starting a business, which now, yeah. you know, looks like, you know, so elementary because of what you've created. Sure. Tell us about making that list. You know, I remember as an er, uh, as a young boy being scared of everything. I would literally, you know, this might be too personal, but I would wet the bed all the time until I was probably eight or nine years old in the middle of the night. I would scream crying for my mom probably till i was nine ten years old and that's embarrassing for me to say being like yeah i was nine ten years old still yeah. wetting the bed still so scared of the dark crying for my mom to where she would come in and literally lay next to me until i would fall asleep at nine ten years old this is before middle school right before and i just remember being scared of everything and when i became a teenager i was terrified of what most Teenage boys are all terrified. I don't know if you can guess this, Gary, what most teenage boys are terrified in school. Can you take a guess? Girls. Girls. <laughs> and I was like the most uh, terrified to speak to a girl. I felt like I wasn't smart. I felt like I was this tall, goofy looking, ugly kid. No girls liked me. You know, that's the only thing guys run at one is like girls to like them in, in middle school and high school. And I remember one summer um, when I was like 15 or 16. I was just like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being nervous all the time when there's a cute girl that walks by me or when I want to say hi to someone. I'm just sick and tired of this feeling of not enough, of I'm not talented and they're not going to like me. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to run away from me. Just whatever the fear was, whether it was rational or irrational, I was sick and tired of feeling it. And I remember this summer, I just said, I'm going to go this whole three-month summer of break and every time I see a girl that is cute or gives me that butterfly feeling, I'm going to walk right up to them and start a conversation. And I'm going to do this over and over again until I'm not afraid. And it took a you know a couple of months. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It took oh, me yeah, a yeah. while. And the first couple of weeks was horrible because girls were running away from me, laughing at me, whatever. It was just like, and I said, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to keep going. And at the end of the summer, though, it's like I had... 50 phone numbers and girls wanted to hang out. It's like I became who I wanted to be through going through the fear and just dealing with the embarrassment and the humiliation and the internal suffering that I created for myself around um, rejection. And when I conquered that one fear, I said, okay, now I can do this with everything. I can create a one month, two month, three month challenge around any fear and do it until it hurts, until I'm embarrassed, until I'm humiliated, until I get laughed at. But then it's not going to hurt anymore because I've gone through the pain. And that's just what I do every year. I create a list of all the fears that I still have. And I think, what's the scariest fear I haven't tackled? And then I try to tackle that that year. And it's just, um, it makes me feel more confident, more bulletproof, more humble, more grateful, more compassionate towards other people's challenges because I've gone through so many of my own internal fears and I want to keep doing it for the rest of my life because I want to keep growing. 
Well, an amazing answer. It's funny, uh, you know, my favorite F word is failure because you learn so much from failure. And my second favorite F word now is fear, thanks yeah. to you actually. So I have two favorite F words. Uh, so, so, so talk about uh, a failure because I, you know, and I, I really like to share this with our, with our viewers uh, because we all think like we were raised in this household where we think, you know, I can't do it or I wasn't raised to do it. I should get a regular job and support my family and have my kids and do my stuff. And in order to become, you know, better and improve, there's so many failures along the way and they're going to do one of two things. They're going to, you know, be rocket fuel for further failure or they're going to inspire us. So tell me how, you know, your thoughts around failure and using uh, it to sort of, you know, inspire and drive you and just how important it is. Yeah. Do you have, do you have uh, kids, Gary? I do. Yeah. Two kids, uh, 28 and 23. Okay. Can you remember back 20 years ago, 25 years ago when they were just learning to walk? And when they when they were falling over on their face and scraping up their knees and breaking their arms and crying over and over for six months until they learned to walk, did you ever say to yourself, you know what, maybe this walking thing isn't for my kids. Maybe they're just never going to get it. Like, it's just that they're not going to get it. They're just hitting their head so many times over and over again. But eventually we figure it out. Right. And eventually enough of the failure and the pain makes us like, okay, we got to balance ourselves. Let me hold the, the chair while I'm walking. Let me do this. And we eventually figure it out. But we need to feel pain in some level. I'm not saying we should break our arms and legs and smash our nose, but we need to feel some type of, oh, I, I feel vulnerable in this situation. So let me learn how to grow and become better so that I am not vulnerable and so I feel in control and in balance. But we need, we need to hit our face and scratch our knees and, and do right. this over and over again with everything in life. And I think we get so conditioned to not do that as, as teens and adults because we feel like it's embarrassing. But embarrassment should be something you run towards, in my opinion, because if you feel insecure or embarrassed around anything, that thing has power and control over you, whether it be your mindset, whether it be your health, whether it be your relationships, it is owning you. It is controlling your decisions, your thoughts, the way you like interact with people. And I just never want my embarrassments, my insecurities to own me. I want to become the Batman of insecurities and say, <laughs> I'm going to sit around with all these, you know, people, you know, I honestly want to give myself challenges. I'm kind of crazy about this, but I'm like, I want to create a room of people to just laugh at me. And laugh and make fun of everything that's on my body, everything that's wrong with me. I've got eight missing teeth. I got here. I got, I've got. Yeah. I've got. I got braces as an adult right now. I'm like, I want people to know everything that is wrong or not perfect about me, and laugh at me for hours until I'm just like, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter because their opinions are are more of a reflection about how they feel about themselves and their view of the world than how you can should be viewing yourself. And these people don't matter. The people that matter are the closest people to you, but right. if even if they are making fun of you, you need to either have a conversation with them and say, hey, this doesn't work for me and create a boundary and make sure they're sharing more positive communication, or you might need to find new people in your life. Um, but I just, I'm just such a proponent of falling in love with your own humiliation and embarrassment so that it doesn't own you anymore. 
So you might have just answered my next question. And I mean, I think that was some of the most powerful, you know, feedback that I've ever received. And, and I'm a firm believer of running towards your fears and bring it on. And, you know, I've been known to say that there's always another bus looking to run us over. So my question was the school of greatness. And, and what I'd like to know from you, Lewis, is what do you, Lewis Howes, define as uh, greatness? So in your life, and greatness is going to be different for all of us, I'm yeah. sure. But in your life, if you wrote down now just a some bullet points, what I define as greatness, what would those be? For me, it's discovering the unique talents and gifts that are within you and using those gifts and talents to pursue your dreams. And in that pursuit, making the maximum impact on the people around you. I think it's, you know, success is about success is for you. Greatness is for other people. And when you want to achieve success, it's about what you accomplish, what you gain, what you uh, the re the rewards you have, the awards you have, the the shiny objects that look cool, and that's all fun. But that's success. Greatness is about the impact you have on other people, mm -hmm. and so you can have both. I think it's cool to like you know yeah. be a New York Times bestseller and do this and build a big company. That's great, but that's for you, yeah. and the the impact you have on others is all about how great you are. In my opinion, that's my personal difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's funny. We always talk about, you know, so many of us and, and you know, you have a whole bunch of entrepreneurs on this call. And I always say to people, in order to grow your business, you have to grow yourself. And Ooh. in order to in order to grow yourself, you have to know, you know, sort of where you're going and you have to define what it is that you want. So, I mean, you have interviewed, it seems like everyone now, almost a thousand, you know, um, yeah. podcasts, uh, Kobe Bryant, Tony Robbins, Mike Tyson, Grant Cardone, Tony Hawk, Alanis Morissette, Scooter Braun. It goes on and Kevin, on. Kevin Hart today on the episode. Kevin Hart today. today. Yeah. yeah. I can't say, can't wait. Uh, so, you know, it, it, you know, and, and they've all had different ideas about sort of greatness and about what's worked for them. What are sort of five you know, three, four, five, whatever you have, consistent habits that you see over and over mm -hmm. in people who have defined, you know, their life as, you know, having achieved or found that sure. greatness. Yeah. For, I mean, the three things that always come to mind, well, I'll say four things. The first thing that the greatest people in the world all have is a clear vision. You just said it 30 seconds ago about getting clear on what you want. If you don't know what you want, you're going to be stuck in no man's land or going to be spinning circles you know, knowing what you want, you still might be spinning circles to get there, but at least you have a, a clear idea of the end result of where you want to be. So the greatest Olympians, Olympic gold medalists, they didn't just in their early, uh, you know, lives and in their teen lives, they didn't just say, you know what, I think I'll be an Olympian one day. Yeah. They, it was a mission day in and day out, an obsession over the vision of their life. Um, so that's the first thing is having a very clear, defined vision. And, and what I do personally is I write down the goal that I have. And I started doing this at a young age. I would write down the goal. And then I would, within like uh, a year goal, I like to write down goals for the long term, but things that I can see myself accomplishing within a year, it could be six months to a year, I'll write it down. And then I'll put the, the exact date and time that that goal will be accomplished in the future within the year. And then I'll sign it like it's a certification that I've already achieved the uh award for that goal right. and i put that on my wall and i stared at it every day and i just asked myself what am i doing today to make this happen just to keep it forefront of my mind and kind of trick my mind um so having a very clear vision is key and our vision can evolve and grow and dreams can change over time and that's cool but just knowing what you want and reevaluating it 
if that's the same vision you want. The second thing is, you know, Gary, you've done this over your life and you, all the people you work with have all experienced some type of extreme adversity, whether it be, you know, I, and no one, I don't like to compare people's pain and adversity. We've all gone through internal challenges that affect us deeply. Mm. And just because you didn't have five people in your family die or overcome cancer or something like that doesn't mean that your challenges aren't as strong and powerful for you as it might be for someone else with something else. But the greatest leaders in the world have faced extreme adversity and they turn their adversity into their advantage. They don't allow it to hold them back. The thing that Kevin Hart said, Kevin Hart has a very public last few years of some adversities he's been through from right. infidelity with his wife, from the whole stuff with the Oscars. Like he's had a few years of, man, just a lot of media attention bashing mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I never let it affect me because I know what my true character is. I know who I am. I know I'm not perfect and I don't beat myself up over making these mistakes. I tell, I look myself in the mirror and I say, you dummy, that was stupid. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. you know, that was, that was, okay. You know what? You made the mistake. Don't do it again. Mm -hmm. Own up to your, own up your apology. Like you gotta, you gotta work hard to gain your trust back with people. You gotta work hard with your relationship. You gotta do these things now. So hopefully you'll be smarter in the future. And he said, and I said, how did you, it seemed like you kept thriving in your career, even amongst the great adversities that you're facing. And he said, cause I don't let it get to me too much. I address it, I own it. And then I focus on my vision and I use it for my advantage. And so I think the greatest don't go hide in the hole when they get knocked down for a year or two. They say, how can I do my best, you know, reflect, be better and move forward. That's the second thing. The, the, uh, the third thing is the, you know, for me, it's, it's a lot of, of the habits and, and routines that each individual creates for themselves. And I, you know, there's lots of habit talk out there. I think it's just finding what works for you to have mm. you have peace of mind to have a healthy body and have a healthy heart. I think whatever that habit is for you, whether it's meditation or drinking lots of water or eating, you know, healthy, whatever it is, um, it's creating those habits for you to have a healthy body, peace in your mind and a healthy heart. And I think when you can do that, then you have the energy and the, the desire and the will to then take on these adversities to pursue your vision. And the, the fourth thing I would say, there's, there's eight key principles of greatness from all the people I've interviewed, but the fourth thing I would say is um, what we talked about in the beginning, which is what you've been doing nonstop in your, in your industry and in your, with your company and your team is uh, living a life of service. And as a young boy, you know, in my teens and 20s, my life was not about serving others per se, even though I did through my sports as inspiration and things like that. It was all focused on me. How can I achieve my goal? What can I do mm. for me? I need, you know, I need people to help me. It was very success, selfish focused, which isn't bad, but the greats go beyond that at some point. They achieve certain things and then they think, how can I achieve and then bring everyone up with me towards my success so that everyone wins around me? And um, they live a life of service. So those are the things I would share. 
Absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, life's a journey and, and, you know, the old saying, the older you get, the wiser you are, you know, the reason why it's been around for a thousand years is because all those old sayings are absolutely true and accurate. Right, right. right. I mean, I've been the poster child of dumbass over the years and, you know, you look back and you go, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I got through it. And, I know. you know, and you learn so much from it. Um, so even if you'd, you know, obviously a lot of people, is there one or two or, or three? And, you know, I know everyone resonates for a different reason, but is there one or two or three guests uh, that have had the greatest impact on you and why? Um, I'll, I'll throw it up to a, a fellow Canadian for you. Robin Sharma came on about a year and a half ago when I was going through, through some own personal adversity and I was under one of those pressure moments of attack from just public, uh, the public courts, I would say of their opinions about me, about some stuff. And he came on and did an interview with me and just really it's, it was like the time he came on the wisdom he shared about purging, uh, toxic things out of your body, out of your mind, and the people in your life. And he says, every time that you are under pressure or we're feeling like we're under a judgment or whatever, whether it be in a small circle of people, whether it be uh, your company and there's gossip about you, whether it be you have a big audience like me and you know there's a lots of rumors going around. He said, that's the time where you get to purge. You get to purge the people out of your life that have been sucking the energy out of you that you've right. been giving too much to. You get to purge. You get to find out who your true friends are and purge the fake friends who only want to use you. You get to purge, you know, the toxic thoughts or the things from your body that you've been holding on to. And so anytime we are under that type of pressure or gossip or judgment or whatever it may be, that's the time you purge. And that was really powerful for me to not hold on to these things mm -hmm. and really... I'm the type of guy who wants, you know, I think every, we want, everyone wants everyone to like them. You know, I don't think anyone thinks, ah, I wish everyone hated me. You're like, this. <laughs> yeah. we just, we want to be liked as human beings. And when we feel like people don't like us or we're under attack, it's, it can be very hurtful sometimes when, especially if they don't know the truth or whatever it may be. Um, and sometimes we want to defend ourselves, but I realize like, no, that's the time to let, let those people go. And not mm -hmm. not try to like, ah, oh, but you know, look at this, look at this. It's more like, okay, if that's what you think and you don't have a conversation, like, all right, let's let that relationship go or let's distance ourselves from those people. You don't have to cut them out of your life, but let's focus on the people that are in collaboration with you, not people who are against you, and focus on those people. So um, I can't remember what your question was about this and, and why I was sharing that, but uh sort of like the two or three you know most impactful oh, yeah, sort of yeah. guests that you've had so, and so robin sharma was yeah robin sharma gave me that um i would say kobe bryant was really powerful and it was because of the way the interview was unbelievable it was my it was my favorite interview of all time even before he passed yeah. i was saying that this was unbelievable and it, it went viral because he was sharing things that he never shared in an interview. So I was just grateful that he was willing to open up to a, a stranger essentially. Yeah. But it was how he showed up before the interview that left the biggest impression for me um, of any guest I ever met. He, he was just, I'll tell you a quick story about it. I, I get the, I booked the interview the the night before the interview. So his publicist reaches out to me and my team um, the, the day before we do the interview and says, hey, Kobe's looking to do a podcast. He just launched a podcast for kids. 
and we're trying to get him in the top, you know, five on iTunes. And they reached out to us. Can you do an interview in the next like 30 days away? He's got an hour time slot at this, you know, 30 yeah. in a month. And so I'm on the phone with someone on my team who's on the phone with them and, and has them on hold. And I go, do not hang up with this person tomorrow. until you get them to agree to doing this interview first thing in the morning, tomorrow. I go, this thing, if we book this a month out, it's not going to happen. It's going to get rescheduled. It's going to get put. I just know the game. It's happened to me many times. I was three days. I had a, booked an interview with uh, uh, Tom Brady a couple years prior, and I had a flight out to Boston to film in his house three days before. He he has to cancel because Deflate Gate is still happening at that yeah. time, and they're like, we don't want to do any press, but we'll do it next year. And, and it just kept getting pushed off, and it still never happened. And I go – Book this thing in the morning. First thing, I will show up anywhere. I'll go to his house. I'll go to the gym. I'll go to his office. 6 a.m., 7 a.m. You tell me when. I'll be there. And they book it at like 8 a.m. the next day. And I go, great. So I drive down to the Orange County from Los Angeles uh, to his office. And I get there at 6.30. I go, I'm going to be there super early, an hour and a half early, and make sure we're set up. I bring my camera person. We, you know, I want to make sure we're prepared. Everything we have is ready to go. So there's... So we have as much time as possible. Their publicist was like, you know, he's got 20 minutes and then he's got an interview right after you with little, um, little Wayne, little Wayne was interviewing oh, yeah. him for some, some show and he's got 20 minutes and he's booked all day. And she sent me a whole list, a big PDF of all the things I cannot ask him. <laughs> and, um, and so we get there early. It's 6 30 AM in the orange County in his office. His assistant opens the door. She's the first one there. And she turns on the lights in the place. And it's a big office. And she's like, here's normally where we film. And I was like, ah, I don't like this angle and this spot. Can we walk around the office and just see if there's a better location? She said, sure. So we walked down through the office. There's at one point a, a big kind of hallway with uh, glass windows on each side of conference rooms and offices that opened up into another big spot. And we walked down this glass hallway into the other big space. And I'm like, nah, I don't like it over here. Let's go back across and see the other spot. We walk back through the glass hallway with offices. And at the, the last office on the left, walking through until you open up into the big opening, the office lights are off. But I, I glance over for a second. And in the back corner of the room, probably 30 feet away, just in the corner, looking up at the ceiling like this is Kobe Bryant. <laughs> and he's looking, he doesn't see me. He's kind of like turned to the side. So he doesn't see me looking in and he's looking up. There's no computer on. There's no phone in his hand. There's nothing. It's 6 30 AM. He's the only one in the office looking up like this. And I go, I just took a double take as we walked by and I asked the assistant, I go, is that Kobe? And she was like, yeah. I was like, it's like 6 30 AM. What's he doing here? The interview's not for an hour and a half. She goes, he's been here for an hour. I go, what? I go, he's been here for an hour. He's always the first one in here. And I go, are you, are you kidding me? And he was, she was like, yeah. And he was in the gym at 4 a.m. with his daughter, the one that passed as well, working out with her uh, before that. And I go, what? This is crazy. I was like, you're telling me Kobe Bryant, who's won five NBA championships, who, by the way, he just won an Oscar just yeah. before this. Wow. For most people that don't remember, he just won an Oscar. He, like, he's in the office at 5 a.m., I'm never an hour early for my stuff. I'm like right. five, 10 minutes before I got to get on thing, you know, if anything. And I was just like, 
wow. And literally the lights were off for about an hour while I was setting up. We set up right next to this. He couldn't see us, but I could see the office lights and they were turned off for the next hour. About 15 minutes before the interview, now there's people coming in the office, like his team's getting there. Little Wayne, like 20 person production crew is there, bodyguards, like getting set up somewhere else. Me and my like two cameras and one person and a couple yeah. mics. I'm like this little rinky dinky production setup, but it's effective. I'm like, man, okay, he's going to come out like right in the minute. He came out literally like two minutes before the eight o'clock hour. And uh, we had this great three minute chat. I, I go, okay, I got three minutes with him essentially before we get started. I got a bit of a relationship with him because we only got 20 minutes. And the things that he talked about before the interview, the connection he had with me was, was like we were best friends. And just to see someone at that level of success and accomplishment to, and, and afterwards he goes, you know what, ask me whatever you want and take as long as you want. Because I mentioned, I go, you know, your publicist told me what I can't share, this and that. He goes, take as long as you want and ask me anything. And I just thought that was really cool that he, one, set an example by his actions, not by what he said, Mm-hmm. He was there. He was actually there at 5:30 a.m. Mm-hmm. before anyone mm-hmm. else, as the leader of his team. Now I'm not saying, you know, we should be at our office three hours before we need to be there or whatever. Right. Like, I'm not saying that's the way I want to live my life. But just to set the example, sure, was like he didn't tell. He didn't show up to the interview, you know, 15 minutes before and walk in the office and say, you know what, it's important to get up, get there three hours early and, and prepare your mind and visualize the day. He showed it. He didn't know mm. I was gonna, he didn't know I was going to see him. Right. He didn't, th- you know, because I they they usually film in another part that doesn't cross that part of the office. Right. But I was like, man, this guy is something else because yeah. there's a reason why he was able to achieve at the highest level with his discipline and his showing, not telling. And I've heard many stories about how I interviewed Jay uh, Jason Williams. Sorry if I'm going a little long here, but no, I no, no, good, we love it. I interviewed Jason Williams, who was the National Player of the Year, won a national championship at Duke basketball, and he got a, he's a ESPN analyst here in the USA. He played in the NBA for a few years, got in a motorcycle accident, and then retired. And he said the first time he played against Kobe, uh, the Lakers, and he was playing for I, th- I can't remember the Bulls or something. He um, he was like, I'm going to get to the gym super early, and he got to the gym super early before the game. And Kobe was on the court before him. Yeah, and he said, you know what? I'm going to stay here super late. And he shot for a couple hours, warming up or whatever. And Kobe was still shooting. And he was like, man, I'm getting tired. And he left. And yeah. Kobe stayed just to prove a point that he would outwork him. And he told that story to me when I interviewed him. And he was like, I, it's more of like a psychological warfare as well. It's just like, I'm sure. willing to outwork you. Yeah. I, it's like... I'm not better than you, but I'm willing to be better at outworking you, yeah. which will get me certain results. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, again, I'm all about balancing life and, you know, yeah, li- living a rich life in all areas. But if you want to achieve something at that level of success, he was a great example for that model. You know, wow. I, I mean, just phenomenal. I'm going to be clipping that and using that. I mean, thank you for sharing. Of course. Uh, it's interesting. You talk about Robin Sharma and the impact that he had, and, and I'll just uh, leave all your baggage at the door. Uh, for those that don't know Robin Sharma, I recommend that his books in the past, The Greatness yes. Guide, The Monk Who Sold Us Ferrari, uh, The Leader Without a Title is one of my favorite ones. Good old Canadian boy with great content. So thank you for sharing, sharing that. You just talk about, uh, I'm going to, you know, the way you explain Kobe, you talk about hustle. 
and I, I know your thoughts on hustle. I've read enough. Can you talk to us about the need for hustle and what hustle means to you, especially in the early years of your business yeah. when, you, when you really, you know what, need to hustle in order I to make it. I remember in seventh grade, I joined, um, it was the first year in school, in middle school, that there was actually like a school team. It was like seventh and eighth grade in the USA. Before that, you're just playing like uh, club ball in the summers or whatever for baseball and basketball and all these soccer. It was just like, okay, you're part of a rec team. Then seventh grade is when it's like, okay, now there's a school team and there's a coach and the whole thing and you play against other schools. And I remember I'd been playing basketball for years and it was really important for me to make the team, number one in seventh grade, because that's like what I wanted to do. And then to be a starter. And I wasn't a starter at, at the beginning in seventh grade. And I remember just thinking, hearing the coach say, like, I want people who are willing to fight. I want people that are willing to hustle. I want people that are willing to sacrifice their body to make a play. And for whatever reason, that stuck out in my mind. And I wasn't, you know, I was kind of like this goofy, gangly, tall kid who didn't have all my uh, facilities kind of like together yet, my coordination yet. I was good, but I wasn't like together with my body. And I just said, you know what? I'm not the best, but I'm going to be the best hustler. And every time there's a ball, loose ball, I'm going to dive and sacrifice my body. Every time it's a ball's about to go to bounds, I'm going to dive and show effort. And after a few weeks of doing this, he made me a, in the starting rotation. And I remember just saying like, okay, if I hustle, I get the result I want. I become okay. a starter. I become more valuable. And I just did that through all my sports career. And I just said, when I did my business, I was like, I don't know how to do business, but I know how to hustle. And I'm going to, you know, in the first couple of years, you got to build momentum. So you got to put more effort and energy into launching something. There is no balance when you're launching something. And so I'm up till 2, 3, 4 a.m. every night, adding contacts and LinkedIn, building relationships, doing what I can, throwing little free events. I was just doing whatever that I could to get yeah. something off the ground. Then when I build momentum, okay, I've got resources. I can build the team. I can do those things. But that mentality sticks with me today. You know, I was telling you before the call, like, our interview with Kevin Hart is out today. I was up. I woke up early. I had freaking my eye closed because I had a, <laughs> a sty in my eye. But I'm messaging on my team. I did a, a call 30 minutes before I got on here with you with a uh, a TV producer who's been developing a new show concept for me that we're going to be taking out next week to pitch to Netflix and all the other uh, networks. I did this, uh, and then I was texting with the publicist, texting with the social media team, texting with my producer about promoting the Kevin Hart interview. I've got another live webinar in this afternoon for a few thousand people. In between, I'm going to be filming live content for my social media to promote the podcast. It's just, um, you know, there's so many things I'm still doing because I still have a vision of that I want to reach. And so, um, yeah, I'm just constantly focused on hustling at the right time. I think when you hustle all the time, you might get burned out. And that's why I really relax on the weekends. I just kind of lounge around and let my body and mind rest. Um, but during the week, I'm going hard. It's amazing, Lewis. I mean, there's so many, when you look at an entrepreneur, you know, and someone who has, you know, continued to grow and built their business, so many of the traits that you're explaining, you know, we see in all of them, right? right. You know, as they say, success leaves uh, clues. Mm -hmm. uh, incredible. One of the areas that you have uh, just excelled 
is building your personal brand and using social media to build your personal brand. I have a lot of people out here uh, probably listening in or on one of the you know live stream podcasts right now that maybe haven't started to use uh, social media as effectively as they should. Can you speak to us about building your brand, the importance of using social media and building that authentic voice on social media? Yeah. What are the steps? And most of the people on your 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 team are all mortgage brokers, right? Yeah. It's not not realtors, but mortgage brokers. Is there? Is it yeah. So like yeah, yeah. So I mean, the you know our, our own personal company, we're the largest mortgage professionals in the country. But there's lots of realtors and referral yeah, partners yeah, yeah. and public. There's thousands of people that this is being you know um, uh, live streamed to right now, and we had a huge amount for the actual podcast. But but um, mortgage brokers do business with realtors more than they do business with the 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 the, the homeowner is that correct or uh it- no most of our business i mean certainly we work with realtors because realtors you know have the ability to bring us you know an ongoing customer base but a lot of our business is with you know canadian consumers that we've provided mortgage financing gotcha. services for years and years and years gotcha gotcha i mean for me you know at an early age 10 years ago i wouldn't say early age when i was starting in my career I, for whatever reason, it was just like, okay, I saw people who were building their personal brands and the, the reason people were following them was simple. They were creating educational or informational content to help others. They were what we call, what people call thought leadership. Now it's like they were posting information that would help their audience improve something, mm-hmm. improve their personal life, their fitness, their real estate stuff, whatever it may be. And so I remember just saying, I'm going to start creating content. And the more I put out relevant, helpful content and early on, I was like, well, I don't have any skills. So I'm just going to be the curator of content and just find industry insights and then share it and then add my opinion to it without having to create anything. Right. That's, that's just all I've done for 10 years. And the last seven years, when I started the podcast, I just said I'm going to create consistent, valuable resources, which built a you know five million person following on social media, 200 million audio downloads, and attracted audience, attracted people that said, "Huh, I like this perspective. I like this viewpoint. I trust you more. I like you more. I want to follow this. I want to I want to listen more, which I can monetize through advertising. I want to buy something you have, which I can monetize." But I wouldn't be able to do that if I just had the skills. So everyone listening or watching, if you've got the talent as a mortgage broker or a realtor, whatever part of the business you're in, but no one knows about it because you don't put yourself out there, how will they know about it? Unless you do the old traditional way of getting business cards and going to networking events and kind of like asking for referrals, that's great. But that's kind of, that's like version 1.0 of of personal branding. Version 2.0 is being smart and using technology like social media, to spread your message with just consistent content. I know you are very close with Darren, and he's been on here as well. He's got a daily Darren. Yeah. Like people want to know who he is, unless, and I'm not saying you need to post something daily, but he grows by adding value with a three to five minute video once a day. That's just his personal style. You've got to be finding at least one platform that you can post something daily. Otherwise, you're going to do 1.0 version, which is, okay, I'm going to go to my weekly business networking event here in my local community in Canada, and I'm going to ask for more referrals and trade the business cards, which we've all done. In the, we've <laughs> yeah. all done in the past. That's just 1.0 version, and you're going to get 1.0 results. So it's time to step up into 
I highly recommend LinkedIn. I've been getting back on LinkedIn. I, I pretty much divorced LinkedIn for five years. I was so sick of it five years ago because I was on it all day for years of my life. And I was just like, I can't look at this anymore. And they weren't innovating the platform the way I wanted where Facebook and Instagram was that I just literally stopped. I said, I don't even wow. want to log in. And then about three, four months ago, I said, you know, let me check this LinkedIn thing out again. I hear people talking about it. Let me check it out. And man, it is so powerful. I'm getting so much engagement on just, just sharing one sentence quote, one sentence idea. It doesn't have to be like this creative design video, whatever. Like just post a thought about the industry. Post a feel-good message. It takes two seconds to copy and paste someone else's quote if you don't want to come up with something. And, and just be a resource. If you can be resourceful, you will bring in more resources in your business. So that's that's my thought on personal branding. Yeah, and I, it's funny because I've talked about, uh, you know, not only obviously everything that you just covered right there, but also be responsive mm -hmm. and, you know, above and beyond just kind of a happy birthday. I mean, if you can't be on social media or if you're not providing content every single day, make comments to other people's posts. Then all of a sudden they start to build a relationship with you and they start commenting on your post. And, you know, the more people you help, mm -hmm. uh, the more people will, will help you. I mean, it's... Exactly. it's yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of it is fairly simple, but yeah, you have to start. So, uh, Lewis, if I asked you what is in one word, the most valuable character to, you know, for someone to have in business, what's your opinion, the most valuable character in one word in business? Love. I, I feel like, uh, that encompasses all the other words that you would need compassion, humility, uh, passion, all those things fill in with that. And that's probably not the word people are thinking about, but, you know, I just try to really think about, you know, my team, uh, how can I be more, you know, compassionate to what they're going through and really not just think, oh, they're here working for me and they need to do what I want, but how can I make them so inspired and feel loved that they want to continue to support the overall mission that we have? How can I find the right people that have that quality? And, um, and yeah, I mean, that's probably not what I was said like 10 years ago. I've been like yeah. hustle and like yeah. do whatever it takes and grind. But I feel like that only gets you certain results. And then you get burnt out feeling and you you burn out other people. And so coming from a place of like, you know, yes, everyone should be working hard. If we're going to pay you well, like we, we expect you to work hard and you got to get your results. And there's going to be some tough love moments. But showing up with a loving energy and attitude because people are supporting your dream as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's important to think about. So love. I think it's an incredible answer. You know, I think it's, uh, it's probably the most overlooked as well. I mean, we look at our employees, our team members and try to get so much out of them. And, you know, it's, it's the leaders that have the deepest relationships uh, with their team member uh, that okay. obviously get the, the greatest results. So thank you uh, yeah, for, for, for that. Uh, so where do you go? to get now obviously you know you're interviewing uh hundreds of people and and so you're being inspired by, yeah. by the feedback they're giving you is there anywhere else where you go is there a podcast that you go to or a certain book or what, what medium do you use to fire up and to inspire and and teach lewis how something new um I just try to I just try to lean on a few key mentors that I really respect right now and and people that are just doing talented things. I mean, my friend uh, 
Scooter Braun. I try to look outside my industry, industry and see who is doing incredible things outside of my space that I can learn from and kind of pull for inspiration back into my space. So Scooter Braun is a friend who is, you know, the biggest music manager in the world, represents, you know, your fellow Bieber. Canadian brother, Bieber and son, uh, you know, Ariana Grande. He's just everyone. He's he's the king right now. And just leaning on how he does things. And, you know, my friend Rob Deerdeck, who and all these people I interview and then become friends with, which is kind of nice. Not everyone, but a lot of them I become sure. friends yeah. with. And so it's nice to interview them and learn and then continue a relationship. Rob Deerdeck is a, a friend of mine and a mentor. He is a TV producer, former skateboarder who's translated into an entrepreneurship and business. He's just got a lot of wisdom. And I try to, a lot of um, therapists, I feel like learning more about inner peace and love is like the key to all of our success when we can take care of our inner world, like our outer world shines. And so I, I try to lean on a lot of therapists who just understand the inner world and, um, you know, letting go of anger and resentment and forgiveness and all these things, because I think it's it's a constant uh, process for us. And the bigger we grow, the more challenges typically come our way that we need to learn to overcome. Mm-hmm. So just trying to stay close to people that are much smarter than me and learn from them. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you talk about, uh, and we mentioned it earlier on, was around habits and the importance of, you know, always adding new habits in. And, you know, you list some of the habits that uh, were important to you, and they can be simple habits, like making your bed every day. Make your right? bed the most important habit for me. It sets the tone for the day. Clean bed, clean day. Yeah. And it's incredible, right? Because it's something so simple. So for anyone on the call right now that is saying, what can I take away? You know, is it, is it out walking 30 minutes a day? Is it making your bed? Is it unloading this washer every day? Like who knows? It doesn't have to be something monumental where you go, yep. Oh my God, I'm not going to change my world. And this has to be vital yeah. and important. It's I'm, simple. I've got this thing here. It's called the Hydromate, which I'm, I'm not endorsing by any means, but it's just yeah. a simple uh, water bottle that tells you how much to drink every like uh, every few hours it's like you've got it keep going you're halfway there no excuses it's just yeah. like i don't know if you can read it that well but it's, yeah uh, it's this bottle is just like okay how do you create systems and structure something like this you can make right. something like this but it's like okay we found this my girlfriend got it for me and i'm trying to drink two of these a day because yeah. i know that water will fuel and heal my body it'll help me lose weight it'll make me feel more energized like all these things so it's like what are the hacks that i can do and, you know, I don't care if I look silly drinking out of a big bottle and I'm just like, okay, I'm drinking out here. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's like uh, it's creating structure and organization in your life so that you can thrive. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and there again, you go back to that list, right? I'm looking at some of your list that you know, you wrote down, learning the guitar, salsa dancing, joining mm-hmm. Toastmasters to improve your public speaking, yep. picking up a new sport, which was handball, which I yep. believe you became an All-American in, didn't you? Uh, national champion in national. Actually, actually we went to the Canada and we won the national championship in Canada. So a USA team went there and won the national championship. So it was fun. It, it, incredible. You know, just things like learning how to write books, how to build a website, podcasting and editing, all things. Now that we look back, you know, that you've achieved because you made a list and worked through them for anyone on those calls, just quickly, I want to, I want to hold this up. If you haven't seen, uh, this is one of Lewis's book, but Lewis Howes, The School of Greatness. I've just went through it again in this last week. Absolutely incredible. I would strongly recommend uh, that. Um, so I love the habits. Uh, I love the consistent uh, see sort of around that. So Lewis, 
what is next for you? Right. 200 million downloads. You're yeah. absolutely everywhere. What drives you? Like when you sit down and say, okay, I need to know where I'm going. Here is my list of where I want to be in five or 10 years. Yeah. The mission for me for many years has been how to serve a hundred million people a week. And how do we create conscious content, conscious media, conscious books, programs, events to serve people, to improve their lives and, uh, and do it in a fun and entertaining way where we bring on people like Kevin Hart and Kobe Bryant so they can share how they've done it on a global impact level and, and make it entertaining and fun. Um, and, and I started seven years ago with that mission. And I remember I did my first podcast when I started this mission after I sold another company. I was like, what do I want to do next? I did one podcast and I had one listener. <laughs> and, then, and then I did another one the next week and it had, you know, 50 listeners. And the whole goal is just to be, be and I've, every week for seven years, I've been consistent in showing up. And year one, we had 750,000 downloads. At the end of last, uh, you know, a couple months ago, we had 200 million total downloads. And so it's now, how do we get it to 100 million downloads in one year? We, it took seven years to get 200 million. How do we get 100 million in one year? How do we do it in one month? How do we do it in one week? And then how do we repeat that to be the source of inspiration to help people improve their lives? And I know it's a process and it takes time. So it's figuring out who are the people that can join the team? What are the tools? What are the technology to help us achieve that vision faster? And that's that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Uh, so... I look at um, the way you end all of your, your podcasts uh, and you have a question called the three truths. Yep. It's a hypothetical question to your guests, yes. asking them to imagine <laughs> it being their last day on earth. Uh, and for whatever reason, they have to, you know, take everything they've learned uh, away from away with them. All evidence of progress is, is wiped out. So given that uh, leave us with what you believe today to be, Lewis Howes, yeah, three, three truths. It's very hard. Three truths. I've heard so many great ones um, from people over the years, but mine would be to follow your dreams. Number one, I believe that I believe we've only got one life in this physical body, personally, um, and you're here to for a reason. You're here for a purpose, and that. You have one unique purpose that is specific for you. There's only one of you. So figure out what that is. And that doesn't mean you need to go and cure cancer and do something crazy. That dream could be something that is more impactful on a smaller level, on a local level, on a family level, on a community level. But go and pursue the, the dreams that you have within you and honor your creator for the purpose of your life in that pursuit. The second thing would be to uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a cheat it'll be a two-parter uh take care of your health and and be in gratitude i believe that you know our body again we've got one body i wish we could transfer into another body suit but we can't and so you've got to learn the tools and strategies to optimize your health and and gratitude is a great tool for optimizing your inner health uh, and then the third thing would be to live a life of service. I think when we do things only for our dreams and for ourselves, it's limited. 
but when we do it in the pursuit of inspiring or helping other people, it's limitless. And I want to sort of just wrap the last uh, sort of 60 to 90 seconds on that live a life of service. I want to just speak to all of you because I think there's a lesson here. Uh, Lewis is probably uh, the one person over, you know, the last couple months that I, you know, uh, I have had the closest or, or sorry, I, I, that I know the least from all of my guests. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I met Lewis at a uh, another event in San Diego. Uh, I think sometime last year, or the year before, yeah. and sort of oh, stayed yeah. in touch. Yeah, stayed in touch a, a little bit. But when I reached out to Lewis and just sent him a text and said, "Hey, bud, you know, I'm doing this now. Would you mind? You know, would you give us some thought? Would you mind participating?" I'm talking in in you know in a very short period of time. He responded and goes, "Yeah, man, I'd love to." You know, like awesome. And 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 he just talks about living a life of service and and, and giving back. And he had so many that helped him along the way, and he's helping us. And I want to thank you for that, Lewis. But I'd like you maybe to explain why that was, because I mean, you get do you get you know called on and reached out to all the time, and people want you know your opinion, your feedback. Explain sort of like why you decided to do this for us uh, and a little bit about that that service piece. Um, I'm sure just like you, I get asked to do lives and podcasts and interviews all the time. And I I, I want to say yes to everyone. For me, yeah. I want to I please everyone. I want to say yes to everyone. And then I, I hurt myself because I'm like, man, I overbooked everything and then I didn't do things for my mission that I need to do today. Right. Um, but I think... Um, you know, I remember meeting you and, and hearing your story when you stood up and hearing Darren talk about you and just, I'm pretty sure you're the one who does the bikes too, right? Yeah. Bikes for kids. Yeah. And I, and no, I was just like, and I was just like someone who's, who cares deeply about, you know, I'm sure you've got your mistakes and you're not perfect. And I'm sure if I talk to your assistant or the people working on your team, they're like, oh, Gary, like, yeah. oh, he's stressful sometimes. But, you know, when you at least say, you know what, I'm going to do my best to be of service to my community, to my team. We can always be better. There's always more we can do to give, all that stuff. Right. But I really like the service mentality that you have. And when people come from that place, I try to do my best to help out if it makes sense and if it's the right timing. And so I just, um, yeah, I just want to be of service as much as I can to people that really care. And, uh, and that are doing big things. So, yeah, well, we're incredibly grateful, bud. And if I can ever do anything for you, God, I mean, uh, you know, you have a friend, you, you have a friend in me and, uh, uh, I mean, I just can't wait to re-listen to this interview and I always splice it and dice it and I take all the best things and I add it to my book and I put it in my phone. Wow. Uh, and this is going to be an exceptional one. I had so much fun. It was it was Thank so you, great to get to know you uh, uh, a little bit it. better. Yeah, send, send me the notes, the recap. I'd love to see what you. We'll send you the notes. We'll send you the video. We'll we'll send you uh, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, for all of you, I know uh, Dave has posted it on the screen, but uh, LewisHouse.com, School of Greatness. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, download his uh, podcast. I've been listening to a lot of them. They're absolutely, uh, in, absolutely incredible. Before I let everyone on this call go. Uh, I want to thank all of you for for tuning in and for giving us uh, you know more than an hour of your of your time. Uh, we're having a riot doing what we're doing, and it's all because we get to uh, you know help you guys do what you're doing. And we have the most incredible team in the Canadian mortgage space, and I'm grateful every day and and pinch myself. Next week, uh, a few weeks back, we had Kevin Cochran from Enriched Academy. Uh, and we said we would uh, do a separate program where we invite 
all of your kids to a program. So we're doing a program next Thursday. It's a smart start to financial literacy for teens and young adults uh, before everyone goes back and, and, and the kids are, you know, uh, are free to go out with the, you know, sort of the, uh, the relaxation on the COVID rules, get them together one last time. I promise you next week, we are going to pop the lid off of all these young minds of what they have to do to start thinking about financial literacy, you know, and the, the ideas to get them started teaching them what they didn't learn in high school, or maybe even what a lot of our parents haven't learned. So you're going to see the link go out later on today. Uh, please click on that, get registered. Lewis, I'll send you a message uh, offline. Thank you again very, very much. Unbelievable, grateful. What a great day. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Yeah. Bye.